Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. I am very excited about this one. Levon Helm of the band was one of the greatest to ever do it. Thusly, everything I've typed, erased, retyped, and so on for this dumb little intro feels utterly contrived and underwhelming when trying to describe a musician of Levon's magnitude. He changed the game in so many ways, and to be honest, still doesn't get the damn credit he deserves. I invited one of my new favorite people and fellow Levon enthusiast, Steve, from Junk Drummer TV, on the show to dissect the top five recordings that best represent Levon's legacy as a player. I couldn't have been happier with how this came out, and I hope this episode introduces a bunch of you to your new favorite drummer. Cheers. All right, I'm here with Steve from Junk Drummer TV. I almost said Drunk Drummer. (laughs) (laughs) Junk Drummer TV. It's been said before. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I first found you from uh, your Drum Teacher Reacts videos on on YouTube. And uh, what made you initially want to do that as a vibe for your channel? Uh, Man, because of uh, a, a woman named Rebecca Vocal Athlete. She's a vocal coach react uh, series, and I was just, you know, YouTube uh, black hole and found her, and she's so charming and so great. I cannot uh, recommend her enough, and I was like, well, I'm a drum teacher, because she's a vocal coach, and uh, I was like, well, I'm a drum teacher, and the thing that I do during those videos is something that I do with my students because I'm a drum teacher in real life uh, and a gigging musician, as I say, at the beginning of each one of my videos. And, you know, doing analysis because I'm less, I say react video because of the mighty algorithm, but I'm more of an analysis video, you know, which uh, much to some commenters dismay. Uh, You know, I do that thing with my students because What's more important or more interesting to me is not the how, because the how is really boring and, 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 and meticulous and repetitive as a drum teacher. But like talking about why a drummer does a thing is much more uh, it's it's more interesting. And, and it's and in, in the long run, say, you know, assuming that the student is good and mechanically sound why you do something is more important. And I watched a bunch of her videos and I was like, well, I can do this. And I looked up drum teacher reacts or, you know, drum teacher analysis. And the only other guy was, a, am not even going to say his name cause it's, he's European. It's like, Martin Javovovich is he is he bald the, the, the other bald head? guy yeah he's the hip flex, the hip flexor and he did a, <laughs> and and he, he was really the, at the time and I'm not saying I created the movement but I can say that when me and a guy named Garrett Miller started doing them a bunch more drum teacher react videos uh channels yeah. uh popped up but Martine or Mark, I'm sorry, brother. I'm getting your name wrong. But, <laughs> he's the competition. We shouldn't be nice to him. <laughs> Dude, he's great. The thing is, he only does like extreme death metal and speed metal and, you yeah. know, that. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, no one's doing. I couldn't find a John Bonham one. I couldn't find a Levon Helm one. I couldn't mm-hmm. find. And I was like, oh, well, then, well, here's a market. And my band, uh, the last band that I, well, I'm in a couple bands now, but the last band I was in that was touring. We came off the road for uh, after six years, uh, and I was like, well, I've got all of this free time, and I'm going to start this channel. So, yeah, it's all Rebecca Vocal Athlete and seeing something in the market that I thought needed to be there, and it was already something that I was doing one-on-one with my students on a regular basis. 
I, I've seen your videos quite a bit, even before the Levon Helm one, but I was looking up Levon Helm one night because I'm not shy about saying I love Levon. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, anyways, I, I came across your video and it was you dissecting the song or you reacting to uh, King Harvest Has Surely Come by the band, which is, of course, Levon's band. And before we get into your video, I do want to talk about the video you're reacting to. And it's, I love the video itself, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes for people to watch it, but it's, it's like a live take from, I mean, is it them recording the second record, or is it just like... No, what that was was a promotional video. That would have kind of been like an MTV situation. The reason why yeah. they call it an alternate take is it's not the take from the, the record. But they did that, uh, I think, maybe up on Cripple Creek as well, and it was used as a promo video. And it was okay. uh, it's something that kind of surfaced a while, you know, a while ago, but not that far along uh, ago compared to when it was done. You know what sure. I mean? And I'd never seen it before because I'm a band band fanatic, and it just showed up on my Facebook uh, uh, feed. And I was like, oh, well, this is perfect. Uh, and also, I thought maybe it's like mm, maybe the algorithm doesn't know this one as well. So you know, <laughs> exactly. So another thing that React analysis video uh, channels have to do is uh, fight the algorithm that uh, copyright claims. Uh, but it's also one of my favorite songs. And yeah, it's just it was written or it was uh, filmed for promo. Well, I love it because there's this series called From the Basement, um, and they do a really good job of. While certain parts are being played, they do camera edits, so it's like, oh, well, this it's this this keyboard thing, and they'll cut to that. And so the as an audience member, you're aware of things that you might not otherwise know if you're just listening to it. And that video does a really good job of, like, cutting to who's doing what, and it's just really well made. And so the video itself is just awesome. Yeah, it was done. At, that was done in Rick. I think Rick and Richard was living at the at together at the time. It was done in their basement. And that's where the that's where a lot of the band the band record was made was just in that basement. I love it. Um, all right, so again, go go check out that video. But so I had you on because in that drum teacher reacts video, you are very blatant about your love for Levon Helm. And uh, again, people go watch that video as well. Uh, and. I just wanted to have you on because I want someone who loves what they're talking about, loves the drummer, and I think that I'm I, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to Levon, and I think there's a lot of, I'm assuming a lot of drummers might not be as knowledgeable with him because he wasn't so much, you know, he's not in that rock star um, Rolodex that people talk about enough, I think, but he's amazing. And what you said in your video was, Phil Collins made you want to play drums. Dave Grohl made you want to be in a band, but Levon Hell made you want to be good. And I fucking loved that. And so that's why I was like, oh, I have to have this guy on. So where where were you and what was going on with your drumming life when you first found Levon? Man, just like how a lot of stuff that you find out when you're a teenager, because I probably discovered the band... 12, 13, 14 in that area. Mm -hmm. So I was, I didn't have a drum set yet. I didn't get a drum set till I was 16, but uh, my mom put on the last waltz and mm -hmm. my mom put on the last waltz because my mom is the target market demographic for Eric Clapton fans. So she <laughs> probably only had it on so she could see the love of her life, Eric Clapton. And I was definitely in marching band by this time because I was in band class through middle school, junior high, they call it middle school now. And I just remember seeing this fucking handsome 
drummer with one of the greatest voices I'd ever heard. Because this, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, so you know, I was into the Big Four. I was Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, sure. and I'd, you know, I'm from the South, obviously, and you know, I'd heard, <laughs> uh, you know, Southern rock and stuff that my dad was playing, but I'd never heard anything like this before. And I just remember, like, who's this handsome? bastard with playing the drumstick because i hadn't switched to traditional grip yet i never i don't mm. think i'd ever seen it it's like playing the drums like that singing like that and then they did those interviews with him and it was the first time that i'd ever heard like a musician or someone who i thought was fucking cool as shit like sound like me because you know oh, okay. he was from arkansas he was from turkey scratch arkansas his name is actually mark love on helm uh but over the years like the canadians in the band and just people just kind of like turned him into leave on so his name is actually l-a-v-o-n uh but I, I remember being like well that guy sounds like me and i'm a drummer and i'm from the south and and like when I heard him do Ophelia, mm. I was like this because, again, you know, I was listening to rock music and I was a punk rock fan and I liked and I liked metal. And it it was that classic like, oh, this is like a birthright for me. Like this is mm. obviously Southern music. I, I, you know, later on, I found out that he was the only Southern in the Southerner in the band. <laughs> Everyone yeah. else was, you know, extreme Northerners being Canadians. <laughs> sure. Uh, and I, I was, I was hooked. You know, this was back before the internet. So if you wanted to get that thing and watch it again, you had to get it on VCR. So I definitely got a VCR. I probably got a dubbed VCR tape. I probably found somebody who had it and took my VCR tape over to his house and like dubbed sure. it that way. The Last Waltz, if you don't know what that is, it is probably the 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 most popular, greatest like concert film. Uh, a movie now if you know what Levon thinks about that movie it is uh, pretty disparaging it has everything to do with the desolate dissolution of that band and the situation that that went on mm -hmm. in the music business side of it because that's the, another horrid part about the band is here's this great you know musical group that got destroyed just like every other band that you love through the business side where, mm -hmm. you know, publishing wasn't where maybe what it was supposed to be and maybe credits weren't handed out the way they were supposed to be. And, yep. you know, nothing will kill a band more than those non-musicians when they get in part of the organization. Uh, yep. The Last Waltz is their last, you know, show as the original version of that band because, of course, they got back together later in the mid-90s. And they bring on all of the people who influenced them and they and that were associated with the band, except for Neil Diamond. He has no business being there. <laughs> Even Levon says that Neil Diamond doesn't doesn't need to be there. And it's just a great movie. Uh, here's the thing about it. It's all overdubbed except Levon. Levon is the only thing that's live on that track. Uh, if you watch it and you can watch it with that eye, and if you're a musician, you'll catch it. If you notice every time they go to Robbie Robertson, who's the guitar player, during his guitar solo, you can t it's it's filmed from here up because you can't see his guitar playing because it's all overdubbed. Uh, oh. It was uh, not recorded well, and maybe some of the playing wasn't the way it was needed to be. Sure. Uh, but And that's a downer, but as just an artifact, because again, they overdubbed and it's all them. Yeah, it's just 
a wonderful experience, especially if you like that music. And I think that is, man, I think it's just really hard. This just might be a bias, obviously. I think it's just hard to watch that and not fall in love. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And but it was oh, yeah. the, it was my mom, man. Shout out Big Liz. Uh, <laughs> she played it, and I'm sure she was just wanting to see Clapton play further up down the further down the road, or maybe he played Key of the Highway. I can't remember what he played on there. But yeah, I was I was obsessed. And then and then later on, as I got into marching band, uh, I, I found out what traditional grip was because you play traditional mm-hmm. grip and marching band. I was like, oh, that's that's how Lee Vaughn does it. So, and then that's why I play I play traditional grip to this day because of my marching okay. band history. Uh, and because, man, I just saw this handsome Southern draw, great singing drummer playing drums. You know, the, the, the quote, and, you know, we had to say this quote, Rolling Stone said that Levon is the only drummer that can make you cry with his, mm-hmm. just his playing. And that's what it is, man. When you hear him sing like, uh, the night they drove old Dixie down, that's, mm-hmm. man, if that don't hit you, if that don't hit you in the soul, you should probably should keep your shit in the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I you're you're summing him up in such a beautiful way. I don't even want to add to that. So um, the yeah. So we had you on, or I had you on, because I wanted to break down kind of five quintessential recordings that Levon did that kind of sum up his playing and kind of just a good introduction to kind of put his playing on a little cute little platter for someone that might not know where to start with Levon. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you're the exact person I want to have on. So let's just jump into it. Okay. And then maybe we can talk about a little bit of the history of him um, and the band and kind of just his whole crew as we go. Because the first one you're t- you're, you brought up is called 40 Days by Ronnie Hawkins, which is, of course, earlier in his career as a drummer. So, yeah, 40 Days by Ronnie Hawkins from the album Roulette. And it came out in 1959. Yeah. Now, Roulette is the record label that they were on. Okay, yeah, because it's kind of in parentheses in the thing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, dude, that that may have only been put out on a forty-five as back in those days. You know, that's fifty-nine. We're we're not even dealing with like records as one entity at this point, really. You know, and you think like Beatles' first record is what sixty-three-ish. Comment section, tell us. Uh, what what you're hearing with Levon Helm is he is. He is the cornerstone of some of the biggest movements in American music. He He's in the band uh, Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks. And what they were was kind of like a, they were like an early pioneering, what they would call at the time rockabilly, and what we would call now just like rock and roll. They were there with Elvis and Buddy Holly and uh, uh, Harold Jenkins, who would later become Conway Twitty, and Little Richard. And he was an early rock pioneer. Lee Vaughn is a walking history of our music, of what we call American music. And at the beginning of it all was he was in this amazing kick-ass, at the time they called Rockabilly, rock and roll band called Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawk, who Ronnie Hawkins, I'm pretty sure, was from Arkansas. Maybe he was from Mississippi. And, and you know, another Southerner changing the culture. Uh, and this is the thing about when you, with Lee Vaughn, you know, he was in the band, which was the biggest band in the world for years. <clears throat> Excuse me. He had already been on a, an album that sold 750,000 records. Like they did a, Ronnie Hawkins did a record called Mary Lou. 
And it was already a gigantic hit. You know, they were on the Dick Clark show. May, they were on some other, uh, you know, variety shows, which was the way that you got to see bands live back then. Kitties, sure, there yeah. was a time when you had two to three channels, no internet. And the only way you could see music was on like the Ed Sullivan show or Dick Clark. And uh, there's a great performance. Well, it's not a performance because they lip sync back then of them on the Dick Clark show playing this song. And what this song is showing, and I wanted to put this up because I could have done a billion band songs and a bunch of stuff he did with Bob Dylan, of course. But mm -hmm. this was show, well, I wanted to play this because this would show the evolution of Levon's playing because this exactly. is just raucous, low down, scaring your parents in the 50s kind of music. You know, this was the music that southern preachers were saying this is the devil's music that's going to send your soul to hell right and and he's playing like his hair's on fire during this because if you know anything about the way they were living at that time they were like ronnie hawkins and the hawks were like vikings that came into town and plundered you know what i mean and that's yeah. this track for me uh, sums up that era and if you know anything about levon's playing you won't even believe it's him. It's crazy fast. He's blasting off blazing, th uh, I guess 16th notes because it's really fast. You know, fast. Uh, and here's the thing else with that is if you are a White Stripes fan and maybe an early Black Keys fan or if you're really into it, like Flat Duo Jets, and I didn't just say the, you know, the, I know those were all two, uh, all three duo bands, but they were like low down, dirty rock bands. This is mm -hmm. where it started, is this. The DNA of those bands started with stuff like Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks. So that's why I wanted to, uh, to, to play 40 Days. Yeah, let's just play the first maybe like minute of it. Oh, right yeah. Now. I'm going to give you 40 days to get back home. Up a gypsy woman on the telephone. I'm gonna send out a worldwide who do that and be the very thing that is new to Dude, he's, he's cooking. City, she'll be back home in 40 days. Woo! 40 days. 40 days. Day. Day. I'm gonna city, she'll be back home in 40 days. Super clean. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, dude, everything from Black Sabbath to, the to, to you know, I said before, White Stripes, Led Zeppelin, Beatles, it all started there. Everything that mm -hmm. we love, man, dude, fucking, you can say Meshuggah started there. Because it's all, <laughs> they all come from that rock. Because, like, if you juxtapose that to what was going on at the time, we're talking Perry Como and Bing Crosby. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like crooners, your mom's music. This was the first time that teenagers had their own music was rock and roll. And, and much due to, this, to the dismay of a lot of the establishment. And that dismay would continue well into the 70s. And mm -hmm. Levon was there. He was at the beginning of it. You know, like if you talk about, I can't remember. It's so bad. I can't remember Buddy Holly's drummer and Elvis's drummer and Harold Jenkins's drummer. Uh, uh, the guy who played with Jerry Lee Lewis, these were the cats that created a style. They created mm -hmm. rock music. And with Levon being from Arkansas and kind of being close to Memphis and, and Nashville, which was the birthplace of every, of all the music 
that you love, all you Northerners and and coastal people, you're welcome, because the South <laughs> did all that. You know what I mean? Thank you. I'll say thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's where it all came from, right? And you know, Levon was living where Sonny Boy Williamson, who's a, a legendary blues guy, was playing a a, a a a radio show every day or every week, and he was absorbing gospel music, country music. Uh, jazz music, R&B music, and all that became rock and roll. And he was the beginning. He was right there. And people, I don't think enough people, I think people know that, yeah, that they have like an abstract idea that Levon was in Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks, but they don't kind of know it. They will know the one track that Ronnie Hawkins is on, on the last waltz, which them is doing, uh, oh, damn it. Who do you love? Uh, you know, Bo Diddley, the Bo Diddley song. Mm-hmm. You know, think the Bo Diddley. Yeah. Dunk, 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 dunk. Uh, Levon was what helped, helped start that movement. You know what I mean? And then later, sure. and then later helped Bob Dylan go electric. And then after that, he he created a whole different movement with the band. This guy is one of the most important figures, not just that he's a great drummer and a great singer and the band in general, but LaVon especially, is one of the most important figures in all of rock and roll. Like if you talk about the Beatles changing everything, you talk about Led Zeppelin changing everything, you talk about Nirvana changing everything, LeVon did that in 1957, 58, and 59. He laid that shit out for everybody. I'm so happy you're on the show, man. This is, I, <laughs> yes, people, if you don't know LeVon, this is, this is, you're the kind of person that will get people into it. So <laughs> I'm stoked. Um, it's so funny, too. You listen to those, to that music, and the drums are so low in the mix. There's almost no low end, but the drums are still the driving force of the song. It's because, because he's that good. Well, man, lo fi, you up. know, low fidelity, you know, there's, uh, you know, lo fi beat makers that wish they could make shit sound that lo fi right now. Uh, exactly. You're dealing with two tracks at that time. You know, you had a left and a right, and you mixed the band the best that you could in the room. And, you know, for all you cats that have only slow-tracked a record, uh, you know, if you don't know what slow-tracking is, we're going to assume that people who are watching this are musicians and drummers. You know, you record a track one at a time, so you get a nice, clean uh, track that you can now mix later. These dudes had to be tight and good, and you played it until it all was good and right. And then even then, because tape was, uh, you know, they were recording to tape, was such a commodity that was not, you know, everywhere. It wasn't like in big supply, man. You can't go in there and do 12 takes like you do on on uh, Pro Tools. You have to go in there and, and kill it at the time. And that's the problem with drumming, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, drums didn't really have that high-fidelity sound until, like... Well, okay, jazz records always did, but see, the jazz records, you didn't have all that distortion to get through. Exactly. Right? So Rudy, yep. Rudy Van Gelder records with, uh, you know, jazz recordings, those, mwah, you know, those sounded great, but <laughs> an acoustic instrument is being blended with acoustic piano, bass, horns. They were still trying to figure out how to record electric instruments at that time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why, because if you were to try to ape that, record and try to play that thing note for note it'd be really hard because you wouldn't be able to hear all the little details that Mm -hmm. he's doing but yeah you kind of just get a it's almost romantic in the sense that you don't hear everything that he's doing but you viscerally know that it's all coming from the drums sure and yeah and that's just man you know technology hadn't caught up yet and it's 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 uh, it goes without saying that I think a, a big reason why the Beatles and the band and all those bands back in the day that 
wrote hit after hit after hit. They they kind of paid their dues being cover bands and playing the clubs four nights or you know four shows a night for years. And they just inherently know what people will react to. They just have that that uh, those instincts that people that just only write in the studio will never have. You, you know? said it right there because when he was in the Hawks, they were playing 300 plus shows a year. Two to three, four hours a night. Yep. It's something that is missing from, and I'm not going to be one of those, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, but it'll sound boomery, uh, to be like, you know, well, the problem with our music today is, uh, but there's something <laughs> Gotta to be Got to push your glasses up when you yeah, say that. Yeah, they're like, well, you kids. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, uh, a lot. Uh, and, and the problem is a lot of these kids don't have place, enough places to play. It's 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 something that's as old as being a blacksmith is mm -hmm. you go and you apprentice and you get good at your uh, your art and then you take it to the people. And and when you hear Levon, there's a good chance that no one has ever played live more than him. Because for 16 straight years, it wasn't as uh, extreme once the band came and when he was playing with Bob Dylan. But, you know, for his whole however many years, four, three, four, five years, he was with Ronnie Hawkins. They were playing 300 plus shows a night. They would go in and they would play all week at a place. Or they'd go in and have a two-week, you know, what they call two-week engagements or three-week engagements. Mm -hmm. You just can't do that anymore. You can't, you know, you can't play a gig every day of the year those it's that's a it's a time that has passed even because even like the biggest bands in the world will go on a 40-day tour you know what i mean but these dudes and they were doing it out of necessity because they were working they were surviving yeah. with that they you know there were no drum teacher jobs on the side there was no serving at applebee's these cats were making music <laughs> every day and they did it because they had to survive and there's you could say that maybe no one has performed behind the drum set for more hours in front of a crowd than Levon Helm. And you're hearing that. And that's why I wanted to play that first, because when we get into his later era, you're hearing wisdom. Wisdom that can mm -hmm. only be gotten doing it in front of a crowd. I talk to this with students all the time. And this is my major problem with music schools. And I went to music school, for the record. Mm -hmm. You can get great in your basement. You can get great in your living room. You can get great on your practice pads. You can get mechanically sound and you can get your coordination, all your independence and all that stuff down. That shit don't mean anything if you can't get in front of a crowd and give them the goods. Amen, dude. Amen. Uh, so yeah, let's, uh, let's move on. Speaking of live shows, number two is Life is a Carnival by, of course, the band uh, from Rock of Ages, which is a live concert recorded at the Academy of Music in New York. Came out in 72, but I think it was recorded in 71. Yeah. Um, yeah, so why don't you take us away? Okay, so here's the thing. Every, you know, Last Waltz gets all the play, obviously. You know, it's, it's, that movie was, was directed by Martin, Sc Martin Scorsese. Every big name in the, on the planet is on that movie. Van Morrison, Eric Clapton, Ringo Starr, everybody, right? Mm -hmm. 
real band fans and real Levon fans know that Rock of Ages is the real shit. This is the real live record. This is my favorite. This and Waiting on Columbus by Little Feet are my two favorite uh, live records. This is real. When you see The Last Waltz, it's not real because it's basically a studio album, uh, you know, overdubbed on a, 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 you know, live movie. This is the goods. This is the band at their height, at the height mm -hmm. of, and what you're hearing, and we talked about, we just talked about that, what you're hearing is tens of thousands. What is that? The 10,000 hour thing? Malcolm yeah. Gladwell? Yeah. This is like 100,000 hours that you're hearing. You know what I mean? Because when the, <laughs> yeah. cause the band, of course, leave on that, the, what we heard with 40 Days, that's not the band. That's, uh, yeah. you know, leave on with some other cats. I think that would have been Stan Sleazlet, or however you say his name, on piano. Uh, then the band became, you know, Rick Danko, Garth Hudson, Richard Manuel, Robbie Robertson, ended up being Ronnie Hawkins' band. And then they played together there as a band with Ronnie Hawkins for another 100,000 hours. So mm -hmm. these guys are the most pro-live act on the planet. You know, people always talked about at that time, if you read you know, interviews with all these people, all these famous musicians who all adored the band, they all were telling you, you know, you only got this good if you played live 10 billion hours. And that's what Rock of Ages is for me. It's a culmination of what you're hearing. And of course, you know, this is the black magic verse. Because I've seen him play it. You know, there's a, an instructional video, uh, and yep. he plays it on there, and I still don't know what he's doing. I know that mm -hmm. the snare drum's vaguely on the three. Yeah, I have to follow <laughs> the bass drum going on, on, on two. It goes, duh, and two. That's the only way I can actually follow, follow what's going on. So the and two tells you where the one's at? Yeah, the vocals and the way that that little guitar starts on four and goes to one. It's geeky. I mean, if it, we'll, we'll play the song, but... Everything is is so not how my brain wants to hear it until the pre-chorus. Then I'm like, okay. And it's that tension and release of that, too. Because when he goes to those 16th notes on the ride cymbal, uh, you know, you're kind of like floating over the beat and you don't know where to bob your head. But then yes. when he net, when he goes to the two and four and you're just like, oh, okay, there it is. And it's that tension and release thing that's, that's wonderful. And it's black. I've, I've always just said this verse is just black magic. It's like, I don't know how you do it. I, I call it um, the system of a down effect, where you make <laughs> the verses so chaotic that it makes the hook so much better. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, that's great. I love that. I might steal that. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. All right. So this is going to be Life's a Carnival. And um, we have talked about this for this exact reason on the show from last month, which is Where is the Beat? But um, this is the live version. We play the recorded version. So there is a little bit of a difference there. This is there, faster. Just... It's a little, little exactly. more cooking. Yeah, all right, so Life is a Carnival, we'll play it all the way through the first chorus. Can't find 
I mean, come on. That, dude, uh, there's been so <laughs> this. The thing about the band is they have spawned a million people trying to do that, like trying to capture <laughs> that, dude. There's so many shitty Genericana bands out there that are trying to do that. Like, sorry, fellas, y'all can't. It's not going to happen. Just use it as an influence and, and put it as a uh, as an ingredient. But don't try to do that because that's uh, that kind of tune right there isn't, oh, man, I just... I don't think that you can just have like that Nashville system where like we have singer songwriters and here's a demo and here's uh, five cats get in the room and, you know, make this song. You're not going to do anything like that. It's it's too mm -hmm. intuitive. The playing is too intuitive between the players because they've played a billion hours together. It's music that's almost impossible to make because you can't put the hours in to be able to get to that product. 100%. Um, and it doesn't seem like they're being weird for the sake of being weird. Um, they just kind of wanted this disorienting thing. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it, it doesn't sound like it's, uh, like postmodern, you know, no. like trying to be, well, that's the thing, fully, uh, but I mean, dude, that's a wonderful, uh, way to get into when you think about the band, you know, that's 60, that's on cahoots. Yes, yes. Uh, that's 670, 69, 70, 71. I'm getting all these dates wrong. Uh, but this is the time of acid music and psychedelia. You know, we're talking Jimi Hendrix. We're talking about Cream. We're talking about Janis Joplin. The people who were being what you would want to call postmodern. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. even if you wanted to say it was like, you know, deconstructionalist almost. Like, if you want to say that Jimmy was deconstructing the blues, mm -hmm. the band was, was, they didn't do it on purpose, I don't think, but they weren't that. You know what I mean? They were like, yeah. I always think of it as like this. And man, you know, I'm, I love all of that stuff, obviously. But like Jimi Hendrix and the and Cream was like in the sky. They were like in the atmosphere. And the band was like in the ground. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're absolutely right. They weren't doing, they weren't like, they weren't like a bunch of fusion dudes sitting down and be like, hey guys, let's play this thing goes from 11 to 17 and blah. That was just like the thing that happened. It was just, you could tell, that was just like an organic, wacky thing that happened. Yeah, because I don't think the band ever made like selfish decisions no. because they knew what the audience wanted. They were always like, this has to groove. And in, yeah, in the verse of that song, it grooves, but you don't know where the backbeat is, but you don't care. You're like, I'm going to choose to bob here. You might choose to bob there. It both works. And then you're like, we'll get to the chorus at the same time, and then we'll bob together. But until then, you have fun. I'm going to have fun. There it is. <laughs> there it is. You know, he always talked about that. Uh, you know, the 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 carnival shows that rolled through the South was all about, and, you know, blues music is, and, and, and early jazz music before bebop came in and started breaking the beat up, man, it was there to make people move. It was, it was a mm -hmm. communal thing. It was African music. It was that idea. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you think of like Ghana high life and shit, that stuff is for the community to connect and to groove together. You know what I mean? And and the thing is, they were intellectual, obviously, but at the it was but it was that visceral, hey, you know, we all worked hard today. Let's get together and and let our hair down a little bit and and kick our feet up. And that was at the beginning. You know, that was, you know, at the center of everything they were doing. All right, we'll be right back with the show. But I wanted to take a second to talk about Waves Audio. This podcast would take me so much longer to edit if it wasn't for the Waves Vocal Writer plugin. It rides the fader in real time and keeps both my and my guest's audio at a consistent level without the need to overcompress. 
I also use an endless amount of their plugins for my musical recordings, such as Abbey Road Saturator, CLA Drums, the SSL channel, and many more. We're an affiliate member, so if this show has brought you any sort of value, the next time you purchase any Waves plugins, please use the link via the show notes. You directly support the show and little old me. All right, now back to the five ways to color in uh, inside the lines. Bye. All right, so number three is uh, you, and you, you did reference this earlier in the in the conversation. The night they drove old Dixie down by the band from the second record, the sophomore, uh, sophomore attempt, <laughs> the Brown record. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The one that just—it's self-titled. It's just called the band. Um, the first record is called Music from Big Pink, but the second record uh, came out in 1969. And yeah, the night they drove old Dixie down. This is their pinnacle. They had great songs that happened after this. And, you know, if you hear Levon talk about it, you know, he really felt that the, the, the apex of their creativity and innovation was those first two records. And then later on, uh, that would raise its head up every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I like music from Big Pink. There's a lot of there's a lot of ballads on there, and not even their best ballad because I think, in my opinion, their best ballad is "It Makes No Difference." But the band is a flat out fucking masterpiece. If you're going to talk about top ten, top twenty, top thirty records of all time, that is it. It is the record that changed the game. It it ended Cream. Eric Clapton heard that and was like, oh, and his exact quote was, the band has made Cream obsolete. That's the exact quote, you know what I'm wow. saying? And poor, and poor wow, Eric, yeah. man, he, he a lot of times he was running into greatness that was better than him, and it was fucking his head up. Because Jimi Hendrix almost made him quit playing guitar. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because Jimi came on stage with Cream and, and you know late and blew him off stage uh uh and it's a real famous story like uh, B- british royalty was there and they all saw it the band <laughs> oh, the band man. was the, what we can almost never have anymore i think uh, radiohead is the last thing really where mm. the, it, it the the critics and the crowd love it the same mm-hmm. it's the critics could not heap enough praise upon this and the and the crowd could not get enough of it and the mm. band the band is a fucking masterpiece if you are a musician and i don't care because i'm in a metal band i play in a stoner metal band i don't care yeah. if you're in a prog band i don't care if you play in a country if you don't know that record you're missing out on a lot of information that you probably should have so this song uh, the night they drove old dixie down uh, you know technically it really shows some of like you know, he wasn't like a legit, uh, uh, you know, uh, learned drummer, although he did go to Berkeley later on. Uh, but you're hearing these beautiful buzz roll crescendos that come yes. that, that just that, you know, when that chorus hits, it hits as hard as anything that you've ever heard. Uh, here's something else. Another technical thing about him. And you'll really hear it when we listen to Lookout Cleveland. He didn't really play a lot of big old crash cymbals after his drum fills. I agree, yeah. He had this, uh, and uh, he wasn't a jazz player, but we do know that he was very jazz-influenced and loved jazz players. Uh, You know, they talked about they were huge Cannonball Adderley fans. 
you know, jazz players will do, you know, comping, play a jazz feel and not do the big old, here's a big old crash on the one, right? Yep. And Levon very rarely did that. And it made the next section, because, you know, I always t- tell my students that, you know, a crash symbol is like, kind of the big letter at the beginning of the sentence or the punctuation at the end, you know, mm-hmm. it, it introduces and ends. Well, Levon like snuck the next part in. So it would be, you know, even when he does the big uh, buzz roll, I don't think he really plays a big, huge, fat crash. And mm-hmm. it was, it made the parts mysteriously move from one to the other. Yep. And, and you know, I love playing ballads. I am a ballad I love playing ballads. You know, the best, the two best ballad players that's ever happened was Lee Vaughn and Nigel Olson, who played for uh, Elton John. And mm. this is a this is a clinic on contemplative, low volume ballad support from the drums. Drummers out there, just because the tempo is low and the and the the dynamics is piano, doesn't mean that you can't still kick ass. And still can't, and you can't, you know, uh, you know, can't be creative and and set a mood. And this is a perfect m- mood song. And from like a lyrical standpoint, you know, this song here reminded people. And it was written by Robbie Robertson, a Canadian who became obsessed with Southern culture. And man, let's be honest, the 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 Civil War is a sin that we in the South have dealt with and have been atoning for for generations now. And this song was Robbie Robertson's uh, attempt to remind people that everyone that fought in that fucking war weren't all slave owners. They were the the playthings of the rich people who actually owned slaves. This mm-hmm. song reminded people, and it almost like, it reminded people that like, we're still human down here. We're sorry, we fucked up real bad, but this culture is beautiful despite the horrid things that happened at that time and for the reasons sure. that it did. And that's why just that alone, lyrically, I think it's one of the most important songs that's ever been written. Uh, so yeah, that with that in mind, let's fucking check this song out. Yeah. 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 He played a lot of syncopation on the bass drum. A lot of ease and us. In the winter of 65, we were hungry, just barely alive. You know, talk about the summer of 1865. I was going to make sure I keep that one in there.
And I'm going to keep this in. There's a fill he does after this chorus, yep. going back in the third verse, that's like so elementary but so badass. So good. If that so don't good. man, if that don't move you, you are dead inside. You need you need <laughs> soul help. If that don't yeah. hit you, man, I have yeah. man. Uh, what a, an admission to put on YouTube and podcast. Remember all the podcasts that you can find us. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've cried so many times that fucking song. That sure, man. I've cried to that song because like it hits lyrically, man. It it. It humanized. It, it, it almost, it, obviously, it didn't, but it almost healed wounds that were at that point a hundred years plus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it humanized the South again, and it was like, oh, you are just misled by terrible people for a little while, but you're still good. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That's that's mm-hmm. uh, as much as the drums are great. Uh, how great is it him invoking military drums during that chorus? Hundred percent. You know what I mean? You can hear like, oh, that's the 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 military side slung snare drum going into battle and such. Man, it's an important. It's it's one of the most important songs that's ever been written. It's just his his vocal track is his vocal. Tra- you know, Robert. Robbie Robertson said that he wanted to write a song that Levon could sing better than any song that's ever been sang was his was his quote. And he did it. You know, that's writers out there. It's very easy to just write inside of you. But if you're in a band situation and you know how to utilize the members that you have now, you're cooking. And Robbie Mm -hmm. did that wonderfully. He knew that that lyrical content would connect to leave on on you know like a dna cellular level and you can hear it you know what i mean yeah and we can't go without saying these live you know these these next two tracks and this one this is a sound of a band in a room working together and recording that live there might be some overdubs i think there's some maybe some horn overdubs at the very end by garth this is a band playing that shit live. There's no click mm-hmm. track. There's no nudging notes. There's no cutting and pasting. Those are cats. This is truth. This is truth at its at its. And I'm not saying that if you do those things, because I have to, that those can't <laughs> be too. You know what I mean? Uh, I got a session tonight. I'll probably do a little nudging. Uh, <laughs> totally. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> little nudge. A little nudge here and there. You know, if I have more than three or four, let's just recut it again. But like one or sure, two, sure. you know, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can do that. Back then, you just did it again. And you did it until you got that magical take. And that's, I've made records like that. The best records I've ever made was made like that. Where it's, you know, Mm -hmm. you're in a room, you got four or five cats, and you're working towards a thing. And maybe you, maybe you messed up this take. Maybe you have just a little bit of a mistake in this one take. But the, the sum total is Mm -hmm. enough to deal with that. You hear that in Led Zeppelin tracks all the time. Yeah, uh, like the dude. There's some there's some questionable drum fills at the end of the ocean, but they kept them because they were playing live. Uh, sure, 
that's what you're hearing right there. So bands, if you want to get to that kind of greatness, try to do it. Try to do that. It's it's going to be hard and it's a lot more work, but it's worth the effort because this is what you get. You get because you get the mojo of you playing with the band together and i always think mm -hmm. of it like your notes are rubbing up against each other and they're and they're forming by osmosis and that's what you're mm -hmm. hearing with these records i think that's a big part of the magic that happened back then and i know i've, I've referenced them now a few times now that's why you like the white stripes that's mm -hmm. why you like them that's live yep. real shit him and meg playing that stuff and that's what and we need to get more of that these days and I'm happy you brought that up, the the potential uh, for needing nudging. This this performance isn't perfect nope. in the way of like, in that first chorus, before that, the night, the bass comes in a little bit before that crash cymbal, because Levon's doing such a, uh, just like an even buzz roll. That the, I'm sure the he's like, uh, where's the one again? <laughs> but the fact that even when the band sounds a little loose, and then I'm sure you would agree that vocally, I don't think they all sat down and, be, and was like, we're going to sing this note this long. It's like some of them are kind of coming in a little bit, extending notes That's a little bit longer. That's gospel singing, man. That's what gospel Exactly. Did. Even when they're quote-unquote loose, it sounds like they're one cohesive unit because they are. Yep. And, uh, and Man, I preach that too. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've recorded my share of stuff with a click track, and every time I sit down mm -hmm. behind a drum set, I use a click track to, to practice, even if I'm just jamming and improvising. Sure. But, man that's the best stuff that you like it breathes there are no perfect circles and straight lines in nature right mm -hmm. so that stuff like man hound dog it's one of the most important songs ever recorded yep. you know right those drum fills speed yep. up all but and then settle it back down now you got to have the wisdom to know when pushing and pulling and being artful with it and just speeding up and slowing down. <laughs> yeah. There's a there it's a tightrope walk. And you yes. know, Levon on that instructional video, he said he's like, I don't, you know, even like made a little thing and little quip, little needle was like, Yeah, some producers with their click tracks. Uh, <laughs> you know, the click track is is when I use a click track, I use it as a reference. I don't try to nail it. I'll push and mm -hmm. pull, I'll be on it, I'll push and pull it, and that's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, it's a suggestion. It's a uh, yes, Ben lovely it is it's a, it's a suggestion because if now with the technology uh, we don't need you to play if you don't want to you can just have a computer play exactly what you want it and it'll be dead on the time but mm -hmm. like you know there's no straight lines in nature you know what i'm saying that's i love it's, it uh, that stuff that's the stuff that that's the reason why that era of music is so romanticized because mm -hmm. they didn't have the ability to make it perfect and they didn't worry about it. And as long yeah. as it and uh, as long as it feels good, who gives a shit? If it makes your insides feel good, that's all that matters. At the end of the day, no one gets a trophy for perfect notes at the at the end of your session. No one gets the here's your trophy. You nailed every note perfectly, and everything's in time. Nope. It's sure. It's, do you make yourself? Do you make yourself? Your insides feel good, and can it make someone who's listening to it feel good? That's all that matters. That's the that's it. All those paradiddles we practice, all those double strokes, that shit don't matter if you can't make somebody feel something. So many good one-liners in this in this uh, podcast. I love it. <laughs> Welcome to the South, baby. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, all right. So the th fourth one is, I mean, 
a groovy i mean this is just the filthiest track um up on cripple creek Filthy. again by the band from their self-titled second record called the band and yeah so up on cripple creek do you want to just play it first yes. and then we can talk about yeah. it yeah let's just let's just get that groove going right away Those keys, so good. Garfuts and the Lake Charles, Louisiana, little Bessie girl I once knew. And she told me just to come on by if there's anything that she could do. All right, let's stop it there so we don't get sued. Um, yep. All <laughs> right, let's, let's go. <laughs> uh, man, I think I always think of this as like a... It's not the best description. It was the best way I've been able to describe it. It's like, it's a soft funk. It's mm. funky as hell. Like, I think a lot of people, when we say, like, when you say funk, you may immediately think Steve Jordan, and you re- and you should. And, you know, that's sure. hard slamming. This is... It's the same... It has the same DNA, but the eye color is different. Like it's 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 you know he was a big New Orleans fan. Like when he's playing that one e a two, he's not going one e a two on the bass drum. Is right swung yep. like crazy. And if you put a metronome on that, if you tried to beat Doctor that, you would destroy that that tune. Right? It would sure. just be destroyed. Uh, it's the big thing right there, and it's the thing that I have made quite a few pennies and dimes on is that left hand you know what i mean that oh yeah you know just that dragging into the next one and almost almost like drag doing a drag and almost dragging as well it gives it that lope and that lope is new orleans as shit like that's as new orleans Mm -hmm. as you get oh it's so good man i have i have so enjoyed getting ready for this because when you texted me about it i was in the middle of students i was teaching and i was like fuck yeah sure yeah man i'll do fucking leave on helm and then later i was like oh (laughs) damn i gotta make sure i got my shit together and i've been well you do by the way i've been listening uh, you know i always go back to rock of ages and the brown album you know on a regular rotation but like i've been just delving into it and like i really can't wait to play tonight in the studio because i'm gonna be that stuff's in me right now and it's the best god i love that song so much yeah and and this this is a good example of um something that i that he does in 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 a few songs uh there's actually two things i'm going to say which is because of course he's singing i'm not sure if we've made that clear oh yeah he's he's a vocalist he's a vocalist in the band too and singing Um, at the same time exactly um and he does this thing where he'll he'll end his his fill or his his groove on an on an and at the end of a of a vocal hook he also does it in the weight mm-hmm. um he just kind of ends on this disorienting and so it kind of lets the lets the vocal kind of linger for a second and then he does there's always like a pause in the songs i'm referencing and he does this little fill 
before it goes back into the verse. And like the three or four times they do it in the song, it's always a little bit of a different variation. Like it, one of them's like da boom boom, and then the next one would be da boom boom, or da boom boom. It's always a slight one. So when you're listening to it and you're air drumming in the car, you're like, oh, this is the third one. He does this. And then when you get it right, you're like, yes, I know the song now. Yeah, it's like these little tiny hooks that he, that maybe drummers are the only ones that notice, but they're there and he's aware of it because he thinks in hooks. It's it's, um, it's always yeah. musical. That's what you're trying to get yes. to. It's just exactly. musical. You know, that's one of the, the things on my, my channel, my hashtag make drums musical again. It's because I want to hear more <laughs> drums like this. You know what I'm 100%. saying? Like, I want to hear that more. Uh, it's just, it's, it's. The it's playing drums with the only uh, uh, modus operandi uh, to make the song as great as possible and to not worry about getting your shit in. You know what I mean? Like there's no crazy chops going on. There's no crazy four-way independence. There's no 17 over six. This is yep. just making that song, ma making that song as good as it possibly can. And that's how you get the gig. That's how you get them gigs, man. Ben, the more I look at you, the more I see you look. <laughs> you could do the biopic of Levon Helm if your hair was if just that's, like if, if you, that's in my future, dude. I am so into it that. It needs to be a little lighter, a little blonder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, you totally. Fucking looks like Levon Helm. It's crazy. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me, Steve. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you, I'm gonna send you some, uh, some, some, some vests. I'm gonna send you some Chelsea boots. We're going to hook you up, man. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, uh, one of my favorite drummers, and I was lucky enough to tour with them, is Jesse Congos from the band Congos. And in that band, they all four sing, all, all the brothers. And watching him play every night, and he sings quite a bit of the songs, you don't realize how little you have to do as a drummer until you're singing the songs. And I think that's a big reason why, why Levon was so musical. It's because he knows what when you just need to hold it down because he never gets in the way of the vocals. Um, and yeah, Jesse did the same thing. And it's just such a, I would recommend like maybe start, start singing along to your favorite records while you're playing. And you're like, Oh, it does feel good if I don't do that open hi-hat on the four that I always used to do. Well, okay. Like, you know? put like this. And it seems like, you know, you're, you're a, uh, you know, you're a traveled guy. Who is the person in the band that tells you to play less the most? The vocalist. The fucking singer. Because yeah. they know you're on my shit, dude. You're in my <laughs> shit right now. And these vocals. Yeah. And uh, I have a saying, the vocalist wins. Whatever yeah. they want, give it to them. Whatever tempo they mm -hmm. want, give it to them, right? Because that's the number yep. one. It's the number one thing. You know, we can mm -hmm. sit here and we can dissect drum parts. And then there's going to be a bass guy doing the bass parts. And there's going to be guitar parts. Guitar parts. Guitar guy doing that. Uh, yeah. But, man, at the 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 what people care about the most is the vocals and you are there to serve that and when you you're right i'm not much of a singer and playing playing drums and and singing is such a a chore you know it's a fifth limb you got to deal with you got to keep yeah. this shit in time and then you got to stay in tune here it's impossible it's ridiculously hard mm -hmm. uh but you're that's a great piece of advice sing along so then you can you can role play what that singer is dealing with and that will, again, allow you to be more musical because, you know, your mom at the house listens to the song that has enriched her life, gives two shits about your drum feel. 
You know what I mean? They want, yeah. they want that vocal to hit them. Yeah, that's great, yeah. man. I'm stealing that, too. <laughs> Please do. It's all free, man. <laughs> Sing along um, so you can hear what the vocalist is doing. Yeah. Hey, y'all. I wanted to... <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by 55 snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye um, all right, so last one is Lookout Cleveland, which, again, you said you wanted to talk about a few things from this uh, track. But, again, yeah, from the self-titled uh, album, The Band, 1969, The Brown Record. Mm-hmm. I, so, yeah, uh, go ahead. Man, I wore my, my band played a lot in Cleveland. Uh, shout out Cleveland and your closed-down factories. Uh, <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a weird town. Uh, yeah. I, I would play it on repeat on the way because I always drove the van. Uh, mm. Which I found out through the video. I just read his auto her his autobiography that he always dri- drove all the gigs in the early days. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's it's such a drummer thing, right? We want to be in control yeah. of everything. We want to control the tempo, yep. the 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 the, <laughs> the volume, and we're going to drive the car, right? The heat, the, the air heat, conditioner, air conditioner. Yeah. yeah, what's on the radio? <laughs> and I would play this on repeat, and it got to the point where like we started playing it. <laughs> I was like, well, fuck, you know, we played Cleveland, you know, four times this year. So we'll play this. Sure, yeah. It's the one song where you really hear him punctuating crash cymbals. I wanted to add this in to, so mm-hmm. you can hear him play a little bit more what you think of a traditional drum feel crash, big boomy crash at the end. Uh, what I love about this is the way that it's basically two genres. That verse is, you know, basically a country song that mm-hmm. just smashes into this big rocker when they're singing about Cleveland and, and Houston. Uh, this is one of my favorite 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 songs uh 
There are songs by the band. I know it sounds like I'm just a sycophant. There are band songs that I don't like, but you yeah. know, but dude, this one it just hits, and it's it's just that they hated that that label country rock. They hated it. Like Tom mm -hmm. Tom had that really famous cover of them, you know, drawing of caricatures, and it's like the noobs, kings, or sounds of country rock or whatever. And they hated that. They had all that stuff in there, but this song is as country rock as it gets. It's a country verse banging into this just kick-ass rock chorus. Cool, let's just play it. Richard Manuel on piano. Starting with the chorus first, which is kind of atypical. And it's and it's not straight, it's just that low. So good. I, I hear um, some Elton John, some of those those, those piano up, uh, I guess, ascending chord progressions. I can see how maybe Elton John well, kind of ripped that off later well, in his, his career. You know, he has a song called Leave On, and it's about Leave On. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, y'all, yeah, well, dude, Bernie, uh, Bernie Taupin, who was, the, you know, his writer. And, dude, every, just like everything in America, those British cats couldn't, they wanted our shit so bad. It was killing them. <laughs> like Elton John, yeah. I, he on many occasions talked about the band's one of his favorite things ever. He wrote a damn song called Leave On. Uh, well, awesome. Bernie wrote the lyrics and, you know, he put the music to it. Uh, sure, sure. That reminds me of the Muddy Water. I think it's a Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf uh, quote. Like he went over, I think it's Muddy Waters. Uh, he went to England. Uh, and you know all that the 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 British first wave of British music was just white British cats wanting to play like Southern black blues guys, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, that's what the Rolling Stones were. It's what the that's what's what the Birds were. And yep. he said, yeah, and like they they brought him over. I'm pretty sure it's Muddy Waters. Brought him over, and you know did a tour, and it was like you know British rock royalty coming to you know to study at the feet of either ah, fuck I wish I knew which one it was. Comment section, tell us. And uh, <laughs> he came back. He's like, yeah, man. He's like those British cats. They wanted to play blues badly, and that's the way they did it badly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's man. The band is a wonderful reminder of the the good parts of the South. It's sure. it's the we man. Sorry, we started it all. Jazz music, blues music, gospel music, rock and roll. It all came from there. And Levon was the cornerstone of a lot of that. Like the building blocks of everything that we listen to comes from this. Now, there's a bunch of others, right? We can talk. Sure. This could be a 17-hour podcast about sure. that thing alone. 
but yeah, man, Mark Levon Helm, uh, and if if you read and watch anything, he was just he wasn't doing it consciously. He was just a cat that was a musician and going to work and wanted to make great art, and he wasn't thinking in those terms, you mm -hmm. know. And that movie, uh, the that uh, excellent documentary about him called uh, "Ain't in, Ain't in It for My Health," which is a yep. very southern term. We I've said that many times. Uh, yeah. He he turns down a Grammy, a Lifetime Achievement Award, because that stuff didn't mean anything to him. What meant stuff to him was playing music with his brothers and and making wonderful art that made other people feel good and put a few dollars in your pocket you know what i'm saying like he was he was changing he was creating and changing the game but not doing it consciously you know like so many people i've made those records where the singers are like this is this is going to be the like nah man if you're trying you're not going to you know what i mean like yeah. you're, if you're trying you're not going to do it that's that's what he that's what he was. I say it all the time, and I have a quote that when you're done, I want to read at the very end. Uh, that you know, Levon is my everything. I love mm -hmm. everything. You know, Vinnie Paul from Pantera is one of my favorite drummers. You know, sure. I love Mr. Bungle, and I love uh, you know. Uh, oh, that reminds me that lope, and this goes. Uh, we're we're doubling back. That ahead, lope in that song, especially on that. Mm, ga, ga, mm, the best way I've ever heard that described was Billy Martin from Modesky Martin and Wood, you know, who's a master Brazilian drummer uh, and mm -hmm. a master funk master. He's another he's one of my favorite drummers of all time, too. He said that like that lope and you hear it in Brazilian music. You can always tell the difference when a Brazilian's playing Brazilian and when someone learned that stuff on a out of a book. He said it's like if you took an egg and if you rolled it like uh, top to bottom, like that thing that's the best way i've ever heard described that 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 new orleans funk lope right there and that's what you're hearing big time on that verse right there it's i feel so bad saying this because you just said such such amazing nice things about levon and one of my notes in this song was that when they go double time, he switches to eighth notes on the hi-hat just so that the piano then goes to 16th notes. It stays out of the way. Yep. It seems like such a non-comment, <laughs> but that's more specific about his playing that when he goes to halftime and the piano starts to kind of open up, just do downbeats, that's when he goes to the 16th notes. But he's so aware of syncopation and what's going on. I mean, I'm not sure how how much he could play piano or guitar bass i'm sure he could play all of them yeah he was a, uh, he how, was a guitar where... player first like he uh, oh, okay. he started his career as like a 10 11 12 13 year old kid in arkansas him and his sister playing a one string uh a tub bass and him playing guitar and them going and doing like 4-h competitions and stuff this cat had been performing in front of people since he was like 12. his first thing was oh, guitar it, it, and he played mandolin obviously he played bass on one or two oh, of course he uh, played mandolin i knew yeah that. he played bass on that. one or two tracks i think like the tracks maybe when where rick Denko was playing fiddle and john simon mm -hmm. wasn't playing tuba because uh the song Ma rag mama rag there's a tuba bass line on that and you know mm -hmm. man, uh, he's playing mandolin that's a good one right there too you know i play this much bass and that much guitar i think it's important for drummers to know another instrument so you can think in those terms you can always tell a drummy drummer drum centric drummer drummy drummy drum, drummy guy you know what i mean you need <laughs> yeah, yeah. to have that that 
the idea of those other instruments. So then, you know, you can fit in a lot better. I think that every drummer should play bass a little, even if it's badly. 100%. Even if it's badly and I play bass badly, you should be able to play bass. And that's... Or at least... Even if you can't perform it well enough, you should know what the part is. Dude, I do You should this. be able to sing it back to someone. Dude, I do this all the time, and no student in the fucking 20-plus years I've been doing it has ever done it. I'll have a kid playing along, or an adult, because I teach Susu, yeah. and we'll be playing a song, and I'll just stop it, and I'll be like, okay, now tell me what everybody was doing. And if you can't do that, you're not listening. You know, you've yeah. got to... I always think of, like, my listening is everything else first, and me second. And if I mm. do that, then you're going to always be right because you're going to be with them. So even if mm. they speed up, slow down, you're going to be with them, right? You can get so, yeah. I call it like the drummer in the closet. Like, I'm only listening to myself. And there's some yeah. instruments, so you're there out in the room somewhere. You got to have big ears, you know what I'm saying? And those cats had big ears because, like, from just a technical standpoint, those cats were playing all those 300-plus gigs a year with no monitors, man. They had barely had PAs back then. Sure. You know, like the, the fact that they were able to sing in tune without a big monitor blasting themselves and the other singers back in, at them, they were getting better because of the technology wasn't there to help them. You know, every time you sit down and if you're a singing drummer and you can tell the, 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 the sound guy, hey, give me the, the, the other singers, you know, in the monitor more, those cats couldn't do it back then. So they had to be better, you know, in the technology. Yeah. Can you roll off some uh, 7K in my snare? Yeah. It's like, what? what? <laughs> no, you better get your tuning key <laughs> Which, out, Which, by bro. the way, I have said that sentence before. Oh, no, that's a good way for the, yeah. man, I know so many sound guys and worked as one for just a little bit. There's guys like this fucking Levon Helm looking motherfucker back here. <laughs> Give him seven. I hope they do. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, fuck that guy. <laughs> here's, that, that guy meaning me. Here's some 9,000 up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh man. I was told by uh, by uh, uh, an engineer once. He's like, dude, anytime you want to sound like you know what you're doing, you just say like, man, hey, you know these mids are a bit punchy. Can you get these mids not be so damn punchy? <laughs> get roll back my seven thousand. <laughs> but uh, one more thing I want to say about the song is the first time you hear it. When the piano is doing the da, 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 you think he's going to do a drum beat like he did in 40 days. Mm -hmm. You know, you, that's what you assume is going to happen. And then, of course, in Levon, he talks about this, how he made the style of music they were playing so innovative as he would do that halftime funk. And so when he comes in on it, you're like, of course, Levon does this. This is what the song needed to be. Yep. And then he, you know, tips his hat to it when they go back to the verse. But... Um, you know, by that yeah, time, he just... had been doing that style for so long. What you're hearing mm -hmm. him play with the band and with Bob Dylan, because we didn't talk about enough about Bob Dylan, maybe touch on it a little bit. Uh, that yeah. was, you know, he talked about, I was like, man, I had done that raucous, over-the-top, fastest shit, blazing stuff for so long. He just wanted to breathe a little bit more. And, exactly. and, and you know, I've got a friend who says that, like, all good musicians, well, of course you'd say this, all good musicians should be in a, in a jam band first because you learn how to overplay and you get your chops real good by overplaying. And then when you stop playing that horrid music, then you learn what not to do and you can yep. take away all that other, you know, oh, like, you know, stacked up bullshit that you did before by overplaying and, you know, improvising the jam. Uh, it's it's what you're hearing with, with Levon is like, he mm. got all those chops by playing way 
way loud because the drums weren't going to be mic'd in 1957. They didn't have mm -hmm. a big old fat, what is it, a, a 112 to put on the bass drum. You just beat <laughs> the shit out of it till it was louder. You know, big band yeah. drummers, of course, too. You know, that's why big band drummers were using 24s and 26s, not because of anything that was fashionable. They had to be heard through a 25-piece porn band, right? So he had got those chops by overplaying and having to, you know, uh, get cut through uh, distorted guitars and basses. So when he was ready to make this kind of music, he had those chops in the... They, it was all in the tank. He had those chops in the tank when he needed them. Absolutely. And let's talk about the Bob Dylan thing, because that's another... That's the third part, you know, the third thing that he did. First, mm -hmm. he was at the beginning of rock and roll. Then the, before the band, he was the band that backed up Bob Dylan when he went to electric. And Bob Dylan going electric is something that's spoken of just as important as the Beatles' white record, white album. Yep. You know, the, Bob Dylan was, was done being the voice of a generation and done being, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, ha, uh, Oh, uh, what was it he said? Uh, Cross-eyed hoot nannies. And that that folk <laughs> Greenwich Village, New York thing, what it was, he went on tour with the Beatles in England and was like, oh, shit, I want to rock. I want, I want that. You know, I don't want just this contemplative, you know, uh, you know, protest against the war, which, of course, was very important. But he was like, I want to feel that. And when he wanted that, he went and got the best band in the, in the country that – all the, the the cultist type musician people knew and it was at that time Ronnie Hawkins was gone and it was Levon and the Hawks and mm -hmm. his manager found them at a place in New Jersey doing those you know 14 night stand type things and Bob Dylan called him up and was like hey you want to play this show in uh, I think it was Monterey California and Levon thought that he was asking them to be on the bill he's like oh who's all playing and Bob Dylan just goes just us and they went and got booed for months because yep. people were not digging it and actually and a lot of people don't realize Levon quit because Levon yep. was done being booed all the damn time and went and worked on an oil rig he went from touring the world with Bob Dylan in probably pretty comfortable circumstances and went and worked on an oil rig because the art wasn't hitting him you know, he was probably making a good bit of money because Bob Dylan was the biggest thing in the world. But the music yeah. wasn't wasn't hitting him. He was sick of getting booed because that wasn't what he was about. That wasn't what music was for him. Music was mm -hmm. a therapy for the masses. And they were going and, and you know, uh, a lot of people thought destroying Bob Dylan's legacy. Of course, they were completely wrong. Uh, so, yeah, Bob, uh, Levon was at the beginning of that of the thing that shocked the world when he put, when he strapped on that, I think it was a tobacco burst Stratocaster, Bob Dylan set the world on fire. People were, couldn't believe it. And he was inspired by the band, you know, by the band. He like, I want the best band in the world. And he went and got Levon and the Hawks and the Hawks of course became the band. And, you know, the band wouldn't have gotten the lay, the record contract that they got and, and that early push if they weren't known as Bob Dylan's band. So, you know, Levon sure. is dealing with three of the, you know, monstrous movements of American recorded music. And then, you know, it's probably kind of wrap us up. God love Larry Campbell 
because he took it upon himself to help Levon record two phenomenal records that we all knew was going to be at the end of his life. Dirt Farmer and Electric Dirt. And those records are just as like Tennessee Jed, man, you know, which is a dead song. Those records are phenomenal. And God love Larry Campbell, who probably feels like put his career on hold and moved to Woodstock and lived with Levon. And, and, you know, Levon was in terrible health. You know, he was in terrible, terrible health. Uh, you know, he lost his voice. He had throat cancer. And one of the greatest voices of our, of our lifetime was destroyed. And he had to relearn how to sing. And his voice is a little different, but it's still, you can, it's still Levon. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, Larry Campbell and his wife. I think his wife moved to Woodstock and you know made sure that Levon had a great band and you know this is during the midnight rambles it's where the rambles started yep. happening and you know yep. people were making pilgrimages and it was so I'm trying not to get choked up it's so beautiful no, that uh all these people that he meant so much to would go out of their way to go up there and support him because, you know, I'm glad we didn't get into the business side of this because Levon yeah. really got fucked really hard on the music, on the business side. And he was doing those rambles to pay the rent. And that's a fucking criminal fact. And if that's not telling you how fucked up the music business is that Levon Helm had to scrimp and save at the end of his life, then there's no other story that will convince you that the music business business is weighted in people's favor and 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 it's not the artist i can assure you but you know larry campbell made sure that those rambles went off uh you know the very last ramble was los lobos came up so all these bands that had been that love levon got to come up there and play with them and give him love and if you know anything about levon if you know anything about the south that's what we like man we like friends and family getting together having a good time maybe maybe imbibing maybe smoking a little something and sure. and just having fun and making good music and that ending of Levon's life really brought him back to the beginning when he was a fucking 12 year old kid singing with his family in his in his in his living room and it's wonderful that such a beautiful man got to have that at the end because if you know anything about Rick and Richard they met really untimely ends and of course Garth Hudson's still alive and Robbie Robertson is still alive but that I, man, if I could ever meet Larry Campbell, I think I'd kiss him on the cheek and just be like, "Thank yeah. you so much for 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 making sure that these things happened and that we have these two phenomenal records." If you like the band, you gotta listen. Dirt, Electric Dirt's great, but but Dirt Farmer is a masterpiece, and you hear him <laughs> playing drums at a at a high level again, and you know that voice is wonderful, and of course his, his daughter. Amy is on it and that's a that's a, a, so many in the music business the end is so sad and shitty and Levon got to have a wonderful end and that man you know what more can you want out of life is you you get to do exactly what you love and the thing that you love enriches and makes other people feel good and then you get that I mean, that's man. If, if that like that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Like when some, I love no. It's <laughs> when somebody talks about you know the meaning of life. Mom, that would be like Levon's life. Do the thing that mm -hmm. you love, make a dollar or two so you can eat, and and make other people feel good. And you know how many uh, 
how many people have lost a girlfriend, a love of life, and just sat there and bawled, it makes no difference. You know what I mean? And like got you through, you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. th there's nothing more that you could want to do in life than do that. And, and Levon got to do that wonderfully. I love it. And I, I, I do want to say one thing before um, I'm going to let you have the quote that you said you prepared. But um, it was an interview uh, that someone went up and, and, and traveled uh, to his place. And his, I think it was maybe I think he died in what? April and I think the interview was done in February so it was really close to the end of his life and it was a really good kind of across the table conversation and at the end of that interview it's a video interview as it's fading out you can see Levon going thank you very much and then he looks literally to the camera guy he looks to the sound guy off to the right he makes eye contact with everyone as it's fading out saying thank you thank you so much He's just so such a kind person. The ultimate the southern gentleman, man. A southern exactly. gentleman. You know, you yeah. you treat people the way you want them treated. You know what I'm saying? Like we could yeah. uh, we could use that a lot. And I don't want to get political at all, but to touch the surface a little bit, we right now could use a lot of us being more like that. I agree. You know what I'm saying? Like just. If they ain't done nothing to you, don't do nothing to them. You know what I'm saying? And and I've I remember I've remembered gigs because you know my band was a bunch of Southern cats, and we would go play gigs, and we would thank the stagehand, and we would thank the and that's not a big that's not a that's not a something that wasn't a you know we didn't get in the van and be like okay guys now let's go here and thank the sound guy and thank the you know yeah. that's just what that's how it should be. It should be mm -hmm. that way. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that treating people, if we treated each other all that way, we'd all be a lot better off. And I think that actually kind of like moves to this uh, quote about them. I think this kind of sums them up. This is um, written. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Who was this? This is uh, written by Al Aronowitz, who was a uh, reviewer at Rolling Stone. And I think this is about, uh, I'm pretty sure this is in reference to, it is, uh, music from Big Pink. Okay. And uh, let's see. Robertson himself calls it mountain music. Because this place where we are, Woodstock, is in the mountains. Then he goes on. The kind of album that will have to open its own door to a new category accompanied by all the reasons for the burgeoning rush to country pop, by the exodus from the cities and the search for a calmer ethic, by the hunger for earth-grown wisdom and a redefined morality, by the thirst for simple touchstones and the natural laws of trees. And if, I love and that. if that doesn't tell you how you should live your life and how you should approach your art, then you're probably doing it wrong. Ugh. I love it, man. So how, how can, I mean, I, I hate doing this at the end of every episode, but I do want to give you a little bit of a chance to do some self-promotion. So Steve, uh, how can people find you? Where can they see your channel? Listen to the you know, music you're on. Cause you're obviously a killer drummer. You've been sending me videos and, uh, competent yeah. fake. I'm a competent fake. Competent <laughs> hack. Okay. Uh, I, uh, you can see me on junk drummer TV. I've got a, like, uh, I think I'm up to a hundred and eight, uh, uh, 
videos of me reacting and, and analyzing everyone from Levon Helm to Josh Dunn of the 21 Pilots to uh, Danny Carey, because if you're a drum channel, you are contractually obligated to it's make legally, 17 yeah. Danny Carey videos. <laughs> yeah. uh, and again, I love Danny Carey as, as well, mm-hmm. I love Danny Carey probably not as much as Levon, but I love Danny Carey. Uh, yeah. uh, and I've also got a, a bunch of other little stuff uh, if you want to see me play, you know, I don't really promote the music that I do because I do try to stay anonymous. I know that sounds completely silly to be a YouTuber and to be anonymous, but I do. It's a, it's a nut, man. It's a Southern thing. Uh, but I do have, <laughs> a, 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 if you want to hear me play, I do have a playlist uh, of me playing. So there's a bunch of me in there playing if you want to hear me. But don't listen to me. Go out and, and listen to the band because that's better anyway. But yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, thank you so much. I'm I'm so happy that uh, I was able to have you do this because you definitely you exceeded my expectations times you know, a thousand. So thank uh, you ben, so much. It was man. it was an it was an honor to get to come on here and talk about my hero, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Awesome, man. Well, uh, have a great day, and I'm sure we'll, we'll continue talking. So, thanks, man. I'll see you, brother. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, Anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at isotope.com. Bye.